For those of you that have already heard the sermon, the podcast begins at about 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Howdy, y'all. My name is Tiffany Keith. I'm the preaching pastor of Heartstrings, Bluegrass, Worship, and Wild Hearts. Welcome to Give God an Inch, where we open ourselves up to God's nudging. I will read one of my sermons, read, not preach, totally different things. What I write and what comes out on Sunday mornings are not the same. After I read the sermon, we are going to take a little bit of time to reflect on it, what I said, why, and maybe what hit the cutting room floor. these words from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35b. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let us pray. O God, open us up. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our hearts that they might be wild. And then, O God, open our hands that we might serve you. Amen. I am wondering if you'll indulge me for a few. I'm hoping I can spend some time sharing a story with you. Now, it's not a quick story, and it's not a dramatic story. Instead, it's a slow story, a story of a changing worldview, This story is like a river digging a canyon, sometimes drip by drip, sometimes in massive, earth-moving floods, always steady and moving, digging a canyon. Time and water eating away at the rock. This is a story that happens over generations. Now, I know you've heard parts of my story before. So most of this is not totally new, but maybe some of it is new for you. You see, my grandma joined a church when she was newly married. Her and my grandfather found this community to which they could belong and give their lives to. Part of that faith community's core belief system was giving, helping and serving one another, of course, but also tithing. They were really, really intentional all of them, about giving 10% to the church. I can't remember a time when I visited grandma and we didn't hear about tithing. When we buried her at nearly 100 last year, they mentioned her faithfulness. Tithing mattered to her deeply. My mom, however, saw it in a different way. My mom was one of 10 kids. They didn't have much money, so for the church to get 10% of their income, my mom had to go without, without new clothes, new shoes, even glasses. She was raised in a family that sacrificed so the church could get its 10%. I don't know how often it came down to this, but I know given the choice between food and tithing, my grandma would have chosen tithing, and I know that upset my mom. I heard my entire life how needy the church was, how the church would just take and take and take and demand and demand, demand, like a beggar on the side of the road. It began that March morning, 14 years ago, mostly against my will. I was listening to God's call for me to attend church. I didn't know much about church, but there was something I knew for for sure. They would demand my money. And sure enough, the person sitting beside me passed me a basket, demanding my money. There it was, that moment my mom had always warned me about. Got me in the door, promising salvation. Less than an hour later, they want me to pay for it. Will you indulge me for a few? Listen to the slow, meandering story. Can I share the story of how I changed my mind? It was about this time that I also started listening to Dave Ramsey. 
Dave Ramsey of Financial Peace University. His entire business is designed around helping masses of people move from financial struggle, anxiety, and stress to financial freedom through simple common sense things, shifting our relationship to money. A couple of things he said started chipping away at my understanding of giving and generosity. First, he says, often, God doesn't need your money. If Almighty God is creator of all, isn't that true? God doesn't need our money. As an aside, the church might. We have to pay the light bill and staff and for the sound system. The other thing he talks about is how fun it is to give. I can't tell you how many people I've encountered through the years that say, I'll give when I make more money. Or the other side, I make so much money. Do you see how big that number is if I gave 10%? I can't give that much money. Oh no, giving is fun. We are made for giving. Just financially, if you have room in your budget to give, that means you are not living above your means. It means your house payment is manageable, your car payment isn't outrageous, or you're smart enough to not have a car payment. If you are a giver, it means you are living within your means. It means you are less likely to be stressed by every bill that comes in the mail. It means you are less likely to file for bankruptcy. I get it. Life happens. If you are choosing between generosity and eating a meal, choose eating. God doesn't need your money. But if you're choosing eating or giving as a lifestyle, it might be time to find ways to readjust. So giving is fun, in part because it's an indicator that you are not overextended in other areas of your life. But more than that, being generous is so fun. I remember when I was 18 or so waiting tables, I had a customer that left me an outrageous tip. He literally called me over and handed me the money. What I know is that my complete joy, probably tears because it really did make a difference, gave him something beautiful. It blessed him. Hearing that God didn't need my money and that I would benefit from giving, that would help me get rich, that is a good reason to start thinking about that offering plate a little differently. So what? Giving is good. But did the church have to beg for money every single time I showed up? There was a video that I would watch during that time, a talk by Dan Pink. He talked about the start of Encarta and another small little world-changing experiment called Wikipedia. In the mid-90s, Microsoft started Encarta. They employed all the right incentives. They paid professionals to write and edit thousands of articles. They were well-compensated managers. They oversaw the whole thing to make sure it came in on budget and on time. A few years later, Wikipedia started. This one, do it for fun. No one gets paid a cent. Do it because you like it. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if you had asked an economist anywhere said, hey, there's these two models for creating an encyclopedia. If they went head-to-head, who would win? (sighs) Ten years ago, 20 years ago, you could not have found a single sober economist anywhere on the planet Earth who would have predicted the Wikipedia model. This is the titanic battle between these two approaches. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose versus carrots and sticks. Intrinsic motivation, autonomy, mastery, and purpose wins in a knockout every time. It's a river. Slowly but surely shifting my way of thinking. Digging a canyon, maybe, just maybe. Being generous isn't about what I get in return. Maybe it isn't about being rich, making the most money. Maybe, just maybe. It's about doing what I love and loving what I do getting better and growing, which has nothing to do with the offering plate at all, or so I didn't think it did at the time. But still, week after week, the offering plate goes by. Week after week, I throw a dollar or two in the plate because the church is a beggar (laughs) begging for a handout. A couple of years later, I ran across another video, another talk. This time, a TED Talk. 
another Dan, this time Dan Piata. The entire video is worth a watch. It's a paradigm shifting video, but there was one quote that I still remember. We don't like nonprofits to use money to incentivize people to produce more in social service. We have a visceral reaction to the idea that anyone would make very much money helping other people. Interestingly, we don't have a visceral reaction to the notion that people would make a lot of money not helping other people. You know, you want to make $50 million selling violent video games to kids, go for it. We'll put you on the cover of Wired magazine. But you make a half a million trying to cure kids of malaria, and you're considered a parasite yourself. What if... Like Dan Pink says, being generous, giving of our time and talents and money to create something big and powerful and world-changing is beautiful. What if Dan Piata is right and it's just as good, just as valuable to spend our time bringing healing and hope and light to the world? Not a punishment, not a way to earn God's love. What if the way I saw money and how it works in our lives was all wrong? What if my mom was wrong? What if my grandma was wrong too? What if there is another way? So very, very slowly over years, my worldview was changing, shifting. Service, surface level information, digging itself down into my identity. Some moments aren't slow. There are big floods carving canyons in the blink of an eye. In my newish-to-church ignorance, I mentioned something to Kent about the offering plate being passed. Why do we beg for money in that way? In the simple way he teaches, he simply looked at me and said, I don't see it as asking for money. I see it as an act of worship. Tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. It isn't about God or the church needing your money. God in the church is okay without it. It isn't about the best way to be healthy. Although being generous is linked to good health for a lot of reasons. It isn't about the best way to be rich. Although giving is a predictor of wealth. We give because it is simply an act of worship. It doesn't earn God's love or forgiveness. We don't buy our way into heaven. We already have God's love and forgiveness. We already have an invitation to the heavenly banquet. Giving is a tool to become the most beautiful, most true version of ourselves. God created us to be generous. That offering plate in whatever form it goes by you, whether a link on Facebook, a bucket on your way out, or a plate that you pass week after week after week, it is not the church begging for money. It's a reminder that God created us to be extravagantly generous. We all need a reminder every week to let go. It is more blessed to give than receive. We need, week after week, the reminder that we have so much to be grateful for. We need the reminder that God is our God, not our money or our things. The plate is not begging for a handout. It's an opportunity to worship that God that first loved us. As you know, each week, I'm introducing a practice. What if you intentionally gave extravagantly five times this month? Now, it doesn't need to be a gift to the church. It doesn't need to be huge. It just needs to be generous five times a month. Not for any reason other than as an act of worship. It's practice. It's practice letting go. So when we hear God asking us to show up, we can do it without hesitation. Last Sunday, as we were leaving, Joy, our bass player, was having a conversation with Luke, who played the fiddle last week. Luke is teaching students at Bristol Elementary, not too far from here. He showed us a video of his students, five-year-olds learning to play the violin. He's talked about their love of music, the amazing thing the school is doing for kids, and he talked about some needs the kids and the school have. God tapped us on the shoulder, Joy and me, 
and simply said, here. Let's give here. So without hesitation, as an act of worship and gratitude, I let them know that Heartstrings and as much a First Methodist that is willing to come with me, we are in. We are going to give our time, our talents, our money, because there is one thing, one thing more beautiful, more true than me or you being generous. It is us being generous together. Thanks be to God. Amen. So you listened to the sermon. What did you, what, like, I was inside this week. You were inside. My name is Kent Ingram, and I'm pastor at First United Methodist Church, Colorado Springs, and I get to work with my great colleague at Heartstrings. Who are you? And I'm Tiffany. So you listened to the sermon. What did you, what, like, I was inside this week. You were inside. You, yeah, your voice is better. The picture is better. I just think it's going to be better when you're inside, just from a production standpoint. And like the camera is shooting right at me instead of up at me. That's right. Yeah. No, no <laughs> up the nose looks. And, yeah. <laughs> it was part of it. And I, I think the one thing, and you already said this, um, I just, the distractions, I, I feel like, so that sermon that I preached, we pre- I preached it Thursday. I didn't have it written until Thursday morning. <laughs> and in fact, what I was, when I went to bed Wednesday thinking I was going to write was different than what I woke up Thursday and actually wrote. So it's not like it played in my head for four days and then I wrote it down, but already basically had it memorized. Like it was all new that day. Um, and yet it still went smoother. And that was not having so many distractions, right? Well, I'm sure that was it. And just physically more comfortable. Uh, I am curious when, when you go in there uh, full time, maybe on Easter, are you going to have more than one camera or Brian just going to have the one camera on you guys? I think he asked for a budget of two cameras. I'm not sure that he got them or not, but I think he's going for two. Okay. I'm, I, but I'm not, I, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I was thinking about it. I, I wasn't even sure if we needed two cameras. Why are you asking? Well, I, I mean, I, I, do, I, think, I don't think with the sermon, we don't move the cameras around much for the sermon, even in the sanctuary, I don't think. It is, it is nice just from a production value, I think, to have a couple of angles of, mm. of things and, and to shift back and forth. I think, I guess, I guess what made me think of that was when you walked over to read your quote, the camera moved a little bit. <laughs> Move back. back. That was pretty obvious. I mean, if there had been another angle that it, you know he could have gone to, you know, shift, whatever. I mean, just just yeah. so it just wasn't like, oh, she's moved. <laughs> oh, yeah. she's back. You know. You're right. Of, uh, I mean, that kind of stuff. I'm. I think. I mean, I I think that will happen over time. You know, yeah. am I concerned that that's where we start? I don't know. I think part of what this is totally, I don't even remember what the sermon is at this point. So, um, uh, but I think part of being a wild heart, right? This, this thing that's kind of both and it is the ability and desire and being comfortable with change. And that we're not aiming for per- perfection day one, but that what it is is perfect because it is, and there is getting better. Sure, sure, I agree. I, I agree, and and you know, I, I think I do think though that you'll have to pay attention to the production value. I mean, you know, the, the for instance, you know, I, I, the, the, she did a great job with the prayer. Then she had to go pick up her base. You know, so I mean, maybe that's just going to be the reality of that show. That there's going to be more um, moving travel kind of experience time, you know, in the show. But yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, the the other thing that I think um, that that uh, is just simply the microphones. So yeah. the microphone setup 
was harder this time because we don't yet have a soundboard in there. But I think the way we're going to set it up more permanently, and I don't know why we didn't do it this way. I'll have to, I don't remember if I didn't ask Brian or if there was a reason we didn't. When we go inside, we're going to back the band up. Yeah. So therefore they will be behind where I preached from. And I'll probably have my own music stand. The altar will be, I mean, everything we needed was in the bus, right? Sure, sure. I, I think, I, I can't speak to this for sure, but I think what happened was when I walked in there, before Brian got there, the band got there and just moved everything up to the front of the stage. And so I, I think what Brian realized was there's no point shifting things, things around. Um, tonight because there was anybody in the, in the theater you know yeah so, so we'll get them comfortable being back at the stage at least and or chancel depending i don't know what we're going to call it but at least until covid you know has shifted some and and yeah. we're less worried because the back of the stage is going to be safer absolutely so so do you remember what you preached on I am trying really hard to pull it up as we talk. I'm like delaying. What did I preach on? What did I preach on? I did a not quite but semi narrative on giving. So growing up, just that conflict of give no matter what. And it felt like there wasn't a fitting in or earning it from my grandma and from my mom, which totally made sense. She kind of was like, yeah, no, like I had to go without food and I was a kid. That's not fair. Well, let me, let me warn you at, at the end of our podcast, not at the beginning, at the end of our podcast, I want to ask you if you think your grandma was right, but I, I don't want to ask you now. I, I, want, I want you to lead up to whether or not you think your grandma was right there, but you did the metaphor, the image you used was that you're, you're changing your mind or coming to understanding giving and, and money and, and all those kinds of things in the church um, was a result of a long, slow process. Uh, the, the metaphor and image was like a river that, that it chipped away, creating a canyon. It wasn't an overnight aha moment. There were just pieces that fell into place. And we'll talk about those pieces, or I'd like to, as, as we go, on, go along. But, but I, have to, I have to tell you that the first thing I thought of when I, when I heard the sermon, and you heard me say this, and I've used it in pledge drive pitches and letters and different things like that. But one, one of the ironies of our job, uh, your job and my job, is that people will tell us the deepest, darkest secrets of their life. They will tell us about things that their spouse doesn't know. They'll tell us about things that they would never want anybody else in the world to know. I mean, just, just some of the most broken moments. I think of some of those, I think they're fourth steps that I do with people going through AA. They just talk about some of the most, most sort of secretive things in their whole souls. And yet, if you and I were to ask somebody how much money they make, they would say, oh, that's personal. That, that, that's none of your business. And I've always been struck by that, that dissonance. Um, and and I, I'm curious, why do you think that is? Why, why is it that, that money is so much more protected? Um, I don't know. We're so much more embarrassed or so much. I don't know. What, why, why do we see that as so deeply personal? Uh, we'll talk about other things. I mean, personally, I think, you know, as Jesus said, I think it was Jesus, <laughs> you know, something you, you, you can't, you can't serve two masters yeah. who will love one and hate the other. Um, and where your money is, your heart is there also. Yeah. Um, I, we, money is, is our uh, national symbol, right? It's our national symbol of belonging. It's our national symbol of individuality. It's our, it's the thing that creates our identity um, in our nation, right? So uh, those are our two masters, right? I I don't, masters, maybe money's our master, but I think in a lot of ways, it's actually the American dollar. If you go outside of our country is what defines us, right? 
We don't walk around carrying our flag. We walk around carrying our dollar bills, <laughs> right? When we leave the country. And, and, and like when people see that, like even they have a sense of, I, I watched a show once that even then there's a sense of, of um, identity outside of the United States with the dollar bill, right? The, there's a value to it. Um, so I, I think that there is something in that, that we, that money can be a, a tool to help us, you know, a, a tool uh, to walk alongside God in creating a better world, or we can worship, worship money itself. Yeah. There is an irony, I suppose, that we put in God, we trust on our money. Um, yeah. and, and you, it kind of makes you wonder what, well, what God are we talking about? Um, mm. You know, is, is it, is it really the God of, of, of our faith or is it, you know, the, I mean, you, you, I mean, you think about any, just the, the politics of this nation, the, the, the energy of this nation is put on the economy. It's, all, it's about money. Um, and, and we're successful if, if people are making more money and we're not successful if they're not making more money. And, and it just seems so deeply, deeply ingrained into our souls and who we are that, that it's just, well, it helps me understand why it takes a long time to shift your thinking about money, right? It's why, why it has to chip away and chip away and chip away because we are, um, we love our money. We have worshipped, um, uh, I, I don't know, a pure fo- form of capitalism, right? Yeah. And I don't think capitalism is bad. I think capitalism is a good thing. But when it's only about the dollar bill, it's yeah. only about winning, then the environment gets destroyed. Then, you know, big business like Walmart. I mean, if money is the only thing Walmart wins and small businesses don't matter, because the only thing that matters is, um, you know, so I, it just ends up. Well, let me, let me, I want to sort of go through, uh, if you don't mind, sort of go through this, this uh, process that you went through over, over a period of years where, where you, it sounded like at first you, you understood what your mom said. When you said that church is just begging for money, you know, it's, it's always begging for money. Um, you, you talked about Don Pink. Remember him? Dan, Dan Pink. Dan Pink. I can't read my own writing. Dan Pink. Tell, tell me, yeah. tell me what was it? Tell me what it was about his story that, that, that helped shift you just a little bit. Oh my gosh. It was, it was one of these things that was a paradigm shift for me. And there's, I'm a big paradigm shift person, right? I like looking for those things that question my worldview. And he was talking, I mean, the, the, the video itself talks about, you know, paying people bonuses to get them to do better at their jobs. You know, you know, here, if, if you do this thing, I will give you a bonus. And they, did studies on it. And that works only if um, the activities you're doing are really simple and take no thought. So mm. if I'm going to throw a basketball and it's like, okay, throw this basketball a hundred times in 10 minutes, and I'll give you a bonus. You'll get more money. Uh, you'll get that bonus. You'll work harder. You'll do better. But the second you add any thought, if you are offered a bonus, your performance goes down. Why is that? not uh, if you offer higher pay, I mean, all sorts of things. So people are not driven by money. We think we're driven by money, but the fact is, is so what he leans into is intrinsic motivation, which is power, autonomy, and um, purpose. Mm -hmm. So if, if you give me the freedom to do something, I absolutely love and especially if that thing is world changing Mm -hmm. is 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 to do something that's bigger than than the story that i'm that i'm living um that i will do more i will work harder i mean 
I will stay up till midnight working on like website design stuff, right? I mean, just, which is really sort of interesting because it's one of the things that I've always really appreciated about your leadership, right? So you as a leader, like point the direction of the staff, but you don't get in there and, and like, you give us tons of autonomy, right? Like go get your job done, get it done really, really well. You give us authority, like go, like you have the authority to do your job. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, come to Kent every time you have to, you know, want a new Bible study or whatever. Like you're there if we have questions, but you don't hold that authority over us. Um, and purpose, right? Our, our purpose is bigger than us. It's world changing. It's very, it's in the center of the cosmos, right? You know? That's interesting. Yeah. And and partly because you all are better at your stuff than I am. So (laughs) (laughs) if I'm the bottleneck, I'm the smartest guy in the room on anything, we're in trouble. You know, I mean, I I can do a couple of things fairly well, but I'm not the smartest. So, but but back to what you were saying. So, so, so what you're saying is that, that, People want meaning in life. What were the three things? Power, autonomy, and purpose? Purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one one of the things that was really interesting about that video, I still remember the quote, like, when organizations get um, detached from their purpose, Mm -hmm. like, things start going totally awry, right? Then power gets out of whack. But if your purpose, if you know your purpose... And that, that is what's driving you. Then you can have autonomy and power because you know the direction you're going. Hmm. Hmm. So how, how do we help people understand that meaning is more powerful than mammon? Yeah. I think that's what you're trying to do in the sermon. I think that was the, the first step in, in this, in this journey was the, was the idea that, that uh, people will do things that, 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 are, that are meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, not it, all about, it's not. Yeah. That there are other things besides worshiping money, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you have to be suspicious of people who, um, who seem, seems that their only motive is money. I mean, they, they, there's something wrong inside, right? There's something Never. not quite so so then then you talked about another dan um piano or something yeah yeah value the ted talk valuing um the social enterprise social work social change kind of jobs um and and, and that was another shift for you a little bit wasn't another another way of thinking about value oh man that was a, I mean, oh man, that was a paradigm shift for me. That was huge, huge. And I think coming off of the Dan Pink video where, where it, you know, if you, if you take the second video and kind of and, and place it on top of what I had heard the first video, right? So this is where it's slow and meandering versus like it takes time and it took piling these things on top of each other. But it, if you think about Dan's, Dan Pink's video that says carrots and sticks, so how much you get paid it is not necessarily the best, like the best motivator. And then you come back around with this second video, this TED talk. What if money uh, like, what if, what if we have money attached to it in totally the wrong ways? I read the quote that just was, was earth changing for me. Like, why do we live in a culture that it is okay? We don't bat an eye for paying people millions of dollars a year to create video games where where there's just a free-for-all on like I'm thinking Grand Theft Auto I mean we're talking like prostitutes and killing cops are like and we're totally fine fine with paying those people tons and tons of money but how dare you be a pastor at a church and want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year like 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 how dare you want to make the world a better place and get paid for it like 
what if purpose and and that that drive towards towards making a beautiful place has value hmm. so so but there's a dissonance right there's a little bit of dissonance between on the one hand people are motivated by money but on the other hand we, we should reward people people in our culture who are who are transformative who are helping people who are making a difference with money do, do, do you feel that that dissonance at all I mean, in my head, I wait. So where's the dissidence? Like the world, the conflict in the world or in me? I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I guess you're, you're not saying that people who, who help people necessarily are motivated by money. Um, but, but they should be rewarded, right? People, I think. So. I, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but I'm still reading Clan of the Cave Bear books. <laughs> like I preached about it, what, like three weeks ago, four yeah. weeks ago, and I'm on the last book. And um, I think the second to last book, there's a statement that, um, you know, you and this old, you know, these ancient people and, you know, there's people that there's craftsmen, people that have focused their life in one specific area, some of them being in tools, you know, creating arrowheads, creating, you know, woodworking stuff. Um, it, and there, there's this other kind of place of artists, you know, that make the world a beautiful place. And it has this, that, this sentence in the book that says, you know, the art is not valued any less than the tools. The practical things are not valued any less than the art, the beauty. And, and what if, what if how we see creating practical things is, is broken, that, that the practical doesn't have more value than the beautiful I mean, just the thought of that, there's a, there is a dissonance to say that the, the beauty of making the world a beautiful place doesn't have as much value as making video games or being a football player, or, I mean, it's just these weird, like, like where we place value yeah. and we reject outright the idea that making the making the world a more beautiful place doesn't have value. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, it's sort of both and one. We, we, you know, we. I, I'm not sure that we want to. Um, let's just take our profession, right? I mean, do we do we want to incentivize uh, ambition, or do we want to reward people that that have some certain skills that you know? For more complex and, and bigger, bigger, bigger settings. I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we, we've talked. I mean, there, there's been a movement in the Methodist Church and every church that, that we ought to have equalized salaries. People ought to make the same amount of money based on years of service and education, um, which they do in the Catholic Church. Uh, although, then, I mean, I'm talking to my Catholic priests. It's like nobody wants to go to the bigger, more complicated parishes, right? They get paid the same if they're in La Junta as they are if they're in the cathedral. Why, why do the cathedral, <laughs> you know, when they can do something smaller? So anyway, I, I'm just- Except, except, so that's against what Dan Pink says, right? Dan Pink would say, like having a larger church, if yeah, you are yeah. motivated by autonomy and the, and the ability to like- like that money may not be the best motivator to get you to do the best job you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you, would you fight for a small church in La Junta if you knew it paid you what you got paid here? No, I probably wouldn't. I just, because I like the complexity of it. I mean, I like, I think Dan's right. There's something rewarding about, about doing something big, you know, yeah. for me. So, but but also it made me think, and this is a tangent which we do a lot on this on this podcast. You know, <laughs> um, it, it made me think about about sort of my philosophy of education. I, you know, I, I, there's there's been a push since I've been in college. Uh, there's been a push really towards moving people towards uh, um, degrees 
that allow them to get a job to make money. That, that the most valuable degrees are the, the, uh, the, the hard degrees uh, you know, where, where, they can, where they can translate them immediately into, into a job. I, I tell you when I, when I realized this, and, and, and I'm sure people will laugh now, but I, when I went to Illinois Wesleyan University with my degree in philosophy, you know, along with three bucks, we'll get you a coffee somewhere. Um, but but I, got, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree. And, and when I went to college at Illinois Wesleyan, the Liberal Arts University, the Bachelor of Arts degree was the preferred degree. Uh, the Bachelor of Science degree uh, meant that you didn't take humanities, you didn't take philosophy, you didn't take you know, some of the uh, arts, or whatever it might be, music, whatever it might be. It was a more narrow degree. And when my kids graduated from college, and I asked them, well, why are you getting a, a BS instead of a BA? They looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, because the BA was sort of the slacker degree. <laughs> it was the degree you got if you, you know, if you wanted to piddle around taking literature classes our classes instead of a bunch of classes in your major kind of stuff and, and, and it just struck me as a shift I think that there was a time when we valued broad education we valued learning lots of different things I mean I had to take an art course I had to take a you know music course I had to take all these kind of things that that were not that, that were you know not productive in any way um Anyway, I just was thinking about that in, in the context of, of you're talking about the, the, the clay, the, the clan books and all that there's a value to beauty and knowledge and bread, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes. Yeah. So, so the next shift for you in the sermon had to do with, with seeing passing the plate as, as an act of worship. Hmm. Talk, talk about that a little bit. So I don't think this made the sermon very well. It made the writing of the sermon, but not the preaching of it. Of It felt like, I don't think I said this when I preached it. It kind of felt like in the beginning, like the, the offering plate going by felt like a, like a, like a beggar with open hands, like give me money. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember what I said, but I offhandedly said something like, like asking for money. Like, why are you all begging for money? And you're like, I don't see it as begging for money. I see it as an act of worship. I had never um, before that seen that as an act of, uh, the offering time as an act of worship. And after that moment, I couldn't unsee it as an act of worship. Mm. Like, it, it's not about, I, I mean, it, God doesn't need my money. And in fact, the church doesn't need our money, right? Like, I think if, if everybody stopped getting, God would build the church somehow, somewhere, somehow. Like, um, but if we have a church full of people that that don't give that don't find a way to live open-handed like in a you know dave ramsey in one of his videos and this is kind of how he explains it is like if you're hoarding you have this fist and if you have this fist holding on so tight to your money your hand isn't open enough for you to receive either so if we are, and we, I think we all know those people, right, that are just so tight fisted and they're unable to give and they are, and, and the other thing that seems to go along with that is a lack of gratitude, right, and, and a lack of seeing what they already have. Um, and we already have this love, this, this abundant grace and love and invitation to a heavenly banquet. And when we start looking for that in the the, in the logos that we wear or in the money we save or you know we start looking for life in the wrong places I'm sorry we start looking for life in the wrong places we um it, our lives our life becomes smaller so offering is a reminder week after week after week that we already have so much yeah. um i was talking to you when i was creating the sermon and and part of what was harder about this one is that 
living through the past year for me has been true because it stripped away so many things out of my life that I got to see what is left and be so grateful for it. But that's not true for everybody, right? There are people that have lived through this last year um, that have found a lot of heartache and loss and don't, and, and really, and some of them maybe don't have a lot to great, to be grateful for. So that was a struggle for me in creating the sermon is to tell people to be grateful. And some people are just really struggling right now. Yeah. Well, but, but even then the, the, the plate is an opportunity for whatever, whatever, whatever that is, the two cents, right? The two pennies, you know, Appreciate. It. I remember. I remember when that when that became clear to me, and and you know we've we've had long conversations for years over relevancy and, and sort of the new way of being church and doing church and stuff. And one of the things that really bothered me, and, and I couldn't figure out why it bothered me, but but I would read, um, you know, people said, "Hey, come to our church. If you're not a member, you don't have to give. You know, you, we're we're not going to pass the plate to you." Uh, and, and, and you know, you, you're just you're just free to watch and participate in the service. And it felt to me, it, it dawned on me, it felt to me like, and we'll sing the songs for you, and we'll pray for you, <laughs> we'll do all the other pieces of worship for you. You just sit there and consume and watch it. And, and that, that's when I realized that 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 that's that's a part of my worship is is to give, you know, to, to offer back. So yeah. So, well, hold on. Stop there for a second. So okay. the one thing that I, that I, that I did not say that I really wanted to say in the sermon and, oh my gosh, I totally just lost it. I'm sorry. Um, oh, we're going to have to move on. Cause I don't remember it, but it was really important. And I didn't, um, oh, I remember now it's the only place we go to for an entire hour long show week after week after week that that doesn't expect us to pay yeah yeah i, I mean it, it's kind of from the unchurched side ridiculous to go i want somebody to put on a full hour-long production for me every single week and i don't want to have to ever pay for it yeah well and and, and to tell people you don't have to give assumes that that assumes this sort of understanding of money as God again. I mean, it, it goes, I mean, we, we know that this is so important to you that we're not going to ask you to give that up. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, I, you know, that, that just really bothers me. I, I, I get the, you know, it plays into the culture. It plays into this consumer mentality. It plays into this reality that people are tight-fisted and don't want to let go. So, you know, there's room for you in our place. You don't, you don't have to let go. But I think that's the wrong message. I, I do, so. Yeah. So the question is, how do you transfer? I mean, for you and for me and for Patty, you know, how do you transfer that message that, you know, it's not, it's not about you have to give to pay for the show. You have to give because the church needs your money. How, how do we, when people come in from outside of the church culture say, there is something here that is life-changing that really matters. Not, I mean, all of it does. And the offering that's part of life. Like that's part of it. Right. That's hard. That's harder. Yeah. I think, I think it was Reggie McNeil. We talked about this Reggie McNeil. I think it's who it was said. It talked about as human beings, we need to learn to let go. We just need to learn to let go. The thing we hold to, cling to the tightest is our money. And I think he said something like, you know, it would do us all some good to you know, stuff it down a hole somewhere, just, just to let go. But he said, but the reality is the church can use it. We, we, we can use it to make a difference somewhere in the world. And so I think, I think any, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember pledge talks being about obligation. You've made a commitment to be a part of this community. You're obliged to give. I don't think, people hear that much anymore. I think the message now is you have been blessed. God has, has everything you have, everything you have is a gift from God. Um, and, and you need to, we, we ought to be able to, to give back to this God out of gratitude and out of joy. And the church is one of the ways you can do that. The church is one of the ways that you can have some accountability and, and know where your money is being used. So, 
So which one of those is theologically correct? Which one of what? You're obliged to give as part of this community or this, uh, right? Yeah, I, I think I think the gratitude piece is right. I think it's always been right. Um, I think that you know, what, what what we do now to play into the consumer, I mean, it used to be obligation. What we do now is we play into the consumer uh, reality of the world in which we live in by trying to give people the chance to, to fund the things they like. You have a passion for, so give to that. You know, you want you want to support this, so give to that. I mean, that, that's that's our, our next playing into the hand of consumers, rather than um, just let go. You know, added gratitude and joy, let go. So yeah. So have you been generous in the last month? Have you found uh, so I went to Sonic. I think that so. I guess if we recorded the sermon on Thursday, it had to have been Friday. I went to Sonic for dinner. Maybe it was Saturday. <laughs> it was Friday. And um, so I went to Sonic for dinner and I was going to pay. And I'm like, you know, I had, you know, a 10, a five and a pile of ones. And, and my bill was $12 and I was going to give the 10 and the five. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to give the whole pile. And it ended up, I think, being a $12 tip for a $12 meal. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, so there's all sorts of emotional stuff that like I went through, right? Like, well, I want them to be surprised and happy. Well, I wonder how they're going to react. And, you know, I wonder, you know, are they going to think I'm weird? Are they going to think I made a mistake? Or, you know, what do I do? There was all these, I, I mean, this is part of it, right? It is, is really is sorting through you know where our heart actually is so I ordered it was $12 I saw how much money I had and you know the person came out to deliver you know the food and I handed them the pile and I'm like the rest is for you and she's like okay thanks threw it in her pocket and walked off <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's not like it's not like they she's out there and counted the money you know so it was it was really like a lesson in why do I do this Right. Yeah. It, do you do this for the thank you? Because I, I mean, it, and the other thing, uh, so probably two weeks ago, I knew the sermon was coming. So I got an early start. Right. Um, I, one of the things that I have done for years, and I know it, there's a little bit of um, controversy in it is I went, you know, gum comes in like these big containers right now with lids and stuff. And when I chew all the gum, <laughs> I save the containers for coins and I don't, I don't have very much cash. So I don't fill those containers up with coins very quickly, but um, you know, when I do have cash, that's where all my change goes. And, and what, what I've made a practice of doing for years is when I see somebody asking for money, I will give them that container full of change. Mm. And, you know, the controversy is, well, don't give them money because they're going to go buy liquor. It's not very helpful. Um, but I never did it to change the lives of the people asking for money. Mm. I've always done it in various, a very selfish way to let go of those expectations and needs to control what happens with the money. Right. So I give them the container full of coin in part for human interaction, like, Hey, here. And in part to teach myself to let go that it's not about me changing their life. It's not about me getting them a house or getting them a meal. And it's not about me getting to control if it goes to alcohol or not, right? Like they're adults, they can make the decision with the money they have, even if it's a bad decision. And um, so I was, I pulled into Starbucks um, last week and, and passed by somebody saying, you know, I just want to buy a beer, which the sign sign made me laugh. Like, I just want to buy beer. (laughs) Um, and so I went through the drive-through and 
the Starbucks I went to, you can't just leave on the main road. You have to drive all the way around the building. So I had to pass him again. And when I was leaving, I handed him a container full of coins. So that was my two. And, you know, he seems surprised. Like he's like, like a gum package. Like it doesn't feel that big, but you know, so, and then I went to park downtown like the next day and had no quarters. (laughs) so there you go well we did we I, you know i thought of that when we we as you know we adopted a dog um and and the woman that fought and, and i'm hoping that nobody from the dog place listens to this podcast because i wasn't supposed to do this um but you know she she was a woman of very modest means um and and um you know she she, she took care of this dog that's going to be a part of our family now and she loved it and fed it and loved cared for it and so I gave her I think $50 or something and, and um, you know she said I'm not supposed to do this but I really really need I really need the money now and um, you know I was I was glad to do it whether she did or not but I just I felt good I mean you told me to do it so I did it I did what you told me to do so oh man I hope story I have good stories keep coming out of our generosity because that's what starts changing things right yeah so, Tiffany. I mean, not our generosity. I'm sorry, the church's generosity. Right. Not That's mine right. or yours, but in and, our wild hearts. <laughs> and we're going to let them do that through Bristol, right? We're going to let them do that through the Bristol Elementary. And, and that's just Gosh. so exciting. So exciting. I was, I feel like I didn't preach that well because, like, the story, I think, I don't know. I don't know why. I think, you know, in the preaching part, I, I could have preached it better, but I am so excited. I am like, I, I think this partnership can be absolutely amazing and beautiful. And I believe that our, that our congregation can shift the, the, can help shift the direction of that school. I I think right now they're struggling because, you know, you have to have a certain number of students, right? So the church in order to survive has to pay its light bill. The church in order to survive has to pay its light bill. Like they need students, they need to pay their teachers. Um, And one of the things that would be helpful is students. So what he was initially asking for is like, is there any way like the um, Joy, our bass player can help with some marketing, right? Uh, I mean, is there just a way? I'm like, yeah, we can do stuff like this. We can help with marketing. He's like, we need students. And I'm like, we can absolutely start like, you know, some kind of something that connects that says, hey, Bristol is amazing. Let's let's talk about it. Let's look at them. Let's see what they're doing. Um, I think this congregation can can shift the future of that, can help shift the future of that school. It's who we are, right? Music. I mean, that's, mm. that's the core identity of this congregation has been for music and kids. And yeah. I mean, oh man, yeah, it's like such a beautiful fit. And they're close. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, really excited about stuff we might do. Yeah. So so here's my question, Tiffany. Was your grandmother right or your mom right? Um, I think they're both wrong. I, I think, um, I, I, and I, I wrote, uh, this is in the written sermon. I don't know if it's in the, um, in the preached one, but if you are um, choosing between being generous and eating, you need to choose eating. I mean, there's no, I think my grandma was wrong. I think, I think, you know, when she had to choose between eating and really some of the necessities, she really needed to pick the necessities. Um, now, I think where my grandma was wrong and my mom, you know, so in that way, my mom was right, you know, like the, the, my grandma gave faithfully. And I think that was really good for her to do. She does way better at that than I do. I need to get back up to my 10% because I had to, to pull off for a little while. And um, I think giving, having to choose between eating and being generous as a lifestyle, I think right in there, like there's a problem with that. And um and in some ways that felt where my grandma was, right? 
I mean, she had to choose between eating and giving all the time, but that's because she had 10 kids. Like that's a lot of kids to try to raise and clothe. And um, I think, I think my grandma was wrong. And that's like, as far as I think, I think she didn't need to give to fit in. I don't, I think she gave to earn her way into heaven because it's what you're supposed to do. It's because, you know, she lived in a faith community that had all sorts of rules. All sorts of people are out and don't make it in. So you had to be very obedient and, you know, walk the really, really narrow path to get in. Um, So I think my grandma was wrong. And then I think my mom was wrong because the church isn't begging for money. Y'all haven't bugged me at all, right? You haven't ever said, hey, you're not giving, so you can't be one of us ever. You've never said you're not giving, so you're not going to heaven. Not once. Um, So I don't think either one of them would look and say, would have looked and said, hey, you know, you need to be generous because it changes who you are. So what do you hope happens this week? Man, I want to, I hope I hear stories of people being totally outrageously generous. And I hope that starts happening, not like once, but all the time. Yeah. And I hope you get an email saying, how can I help with Bristol Elementary? Oh, that would be amazing. That would be awesome. (laughs) And I bet we will. I bet we will. I bet we'll do some, you know, this congregation has a heart for that. So yeah let's, let's build that up so cool but do you want to introduce yourself this is kent ingram and i'm pastor at first united methodist church colorado springs and i get to work with my great colleague at heartstrings who are you and i'm tiffany so do you want to let's uh, send it back to the band can't wait to hear the fiddle <laughs>